Thank you, girls. I apologize for all of our technical difficulties. We have had so many of them today. And I just feel like, uh, and this is just not the one, just the mic. We've had all kinds of issues. So I would just, would you just pray with me um, against this spirit of distraction that the enemy might be? Um, the enemy certainly doesn't want the word of God to be read aloud, to go forth in power, to transform lives. So would you pray just where you're at? And I'll pray aloud in just a minute. Would you ask, one, that God would speak to your heart this morning? And two, that he would illuminate things in you and in those around you and even those that may be listening from home today, that he would illuminate truth to them, expose the lies of the enemy, replace it with the truth spoken from God to us. God, thank you for your love for us, the way you care for us. Thank you for the power of your word, that you, says, you say of your word that it's living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. I pray that it does its work today. It would encourage us, convict us, train us what it looks like to be more and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. A few, uh, well, <laughs> a few decades ago, um, I had first gotten my license, and uh, when I was in high school, you got your license when you turned 15, and um, if your parents were, you know, were brave enough to let you drive at 15, and so that's what we did. I had read it. I took, uh, you know, driver's ed, turned 15, got my driver's license. Just a few months after that, um, we go out of town to a uh, baseball game, going to watch a baseball game at Southern Mississippi. Um, and, uh, we go over there and we watch the baseball game. And on the way home, I asked dad if I could drive. Now, parents, you understand this, right? When you, when your kids first learn to drive, they want to drive everywhere. Um, I, I would go anywhere, go to the grocery store. It, it did not matter. Just send me somewhere, drive mom's minivan to go get something. Well, we leave that game and we're coming home and dad said, yeah, you could drive. And I was like, yes. Okay. Score. And, uh, you know, get out of the game traffic, get finally get to the interstate. And I had never really driven on the interstate except for when I passed my driver's test. And that was like one exit. So I get up on the, uh, the, the interstates and mom's minivan. Um, that poor minivan didn't have a chance. Me and Layton both learned to drive in that thing. Um, get in mom's minivan and we go and things are going well. And I'm feeling pretty good about myself, right? I'm like, I got this down, you know, 15, driving on the interstate at night, you know, I got it. And then my first uh, 18-wheeler passed me. And, you know, you're not really ready for that. They kind of blow you a little bit. And so I start looking at the 18-wheeler that's driving past me, getting pulled into its draft a little bit. And I'm up looking at it, not looking where I'm going. And I'm within inches of running into this 18-wheeler. And... Um, my dad was so cool, he just reached over, grabbed the wheel, and adjusted it back straight in between the lines, right? Like, without even saying anything, except for, son, you got to keep your eyes on the road. And I was thinking about that this week, as we've been talking through this series of Just Like Jesus. This is, 
I feel like this is what Jesus does in our life. When we get, get God's word out and the Holy Spirit begins to illuminate it, he begins to show us things in our life where we're, we're headed the wrong way. We're about to end up in danger. And through his Holy Spirit, he gently just, you know, his kindness is what leads us to repentance. He just kind of straightens the wheel up and reminds us to get our focus on the things that really matter. We've been, this is our fourth week now in this Just Like Jesus uh, series and we've talked about a lot of things. We've talked about uh, first this invitation of Jesus to follow him, and then the direction that Jesus is going. We've talked about uh, uh, if you're going to be a disciple, you've got to obey Jesus, full obedience, that you've got to um, be with him and follow him. You've got to love other people. But all of this, just like Jesus, right, is about us maturing, us growing spiritually. Rick Warren says the problem in the world today, not the church today, the problem in the world today is the perpetual immaturity of believers. Perpetual immaturity. That we, like me as a 15-year-old, think I got all this thing figured out and I don't need any help. And yet we need so much guidance. We need so much growth. We need so much maturity. We all start out pretty immature. We got deep patterns of sin and selfishness. But Christ is committed to transforming us. And that's what he does. That's why, we, that's why I, you know, I, I appreciate both Sean and Dave reminding their sons to stay in the word. To keep their focus on what's important and what's in front of them. Today I want to look at this, and this is kind of the only point, and there's a few other thoughts behind it, but as we follow Jesus, that we will serve others unselfishly. Jesus made a lot of if-then statements. If you want to be my disciples, then you have to take up your cross and follow me. If you want to be my disciples, you've got to be where I am, it says in Scripture. If you want to be my disciples, you've got to obey my teachings. If you want to be one of my disciples, you've got to love one another. If you want to be my disciple, then you serve others selflessly or unselfishly. And the greater picture, uh, greatest picture of this, other than the cross, is in John 13, that the Carolina Gracie read just a minute ago. Such a beautiful passage of what it means for the king of the universe to take on this form of a servant and to serve so unselfishly. I want to notice, you to notice a few things from the text. Maybe it jumped out to you. It did to me. And I've read this text a, th a thousand times. And it jumped out to me in, in my uh, devotional time this week. And in verse 2, in verse 1, the end of verse 1, it says that he had loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. And then during supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Just a couple of contextual things. One, that Satan is working behind the scenes. Now, we talked a lot about this last week. If you missed that, I encourage you to go back and listen. But Satan is always working behind the scenes. Even now, he normally does it, as we talked last week, with doubting someone's heart and then a spirit of offense. That spirit of offense turns into unforgiveness and then unforgiveness to bitterness. But he's always working. And he speaks and whispers these lies here into the heart of even Judas, it says he put it into his heart. And if you're not careful, Satan's whispering things into your heart and mind too, even now. This is why we got to use God's word to expose the lies and insert the truth. I found that he speaks loudest in my life when I'm really tired, when I'm bored, when I'm hungry, 
when I'm alone. Those are when his lies come like piercing arrows. And one of the steps that we try to do when we're bored and tired and hungry and lonely, for some reason we even isolate ourselves even more. And yet we create this environment for Satan to continue to speak lies. So Satan's there. He's working behind the scenes. Second thing, though, did you... You see, the disciples are still too proud to serve each other. They're still competing to be the greatest. They walk into this scene. It would be custom in a typical formal setting like this, a Passover meal, for someone to have taken the position of washing their feet. It had been dirty. You've, you've heard this probably taught before, disgusting as open-toed sandals through dusty streets with, you know, cow manure and whatever else everywhere. You know, you get, you get the picture. It would be customary for someone to wash their feet, yet the disciples were too proud to serve each other. They're competing to be the greatest. Just a week before this, in Mark 9, we... Uh, Mark records this little incident that happened between the disciples in verse 33. I don't think I have this on the screen. Maybe I do. And as they came to Capernaum, when he was in the house, he asked, hey, what were you guys uh, discussing on the way? But they kept silent for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the 12. You kind of see this. This is like one of those like, all right, dad's called us all into the living room. I don't know what's about to happen here. I got called into the principal's office. I don't know what's about to happen here. This passage, the argument about who the greatest takes place right after the Mount of Transfiguration, where Peter, James, and John went up with Jesus and saw this incredible display of God's glory and Elijah, Moses, and all these things. They came back down and they couldn't cast out the demon that was in the little boy. Remember all this taking place? And Jesus said this kind of only comes out with prayer and fasting. And so... They're just arguing about who's the greatest. You know what? I, Peter probably saying, you know what? If I would have been down, I could have cast out that demon. I, you know, I was up the mountain with Jesus though, right? And James and John probably like, Peter, dude, you were the one that wanted to build tents up there, man. You missed the, you missed the, whole, the whole point. You could have done it. Now, maybe I could have done it. They're arguing about who's the greatest. Jesus responds to them. If anyone would be first, he must be the last of all and servant of all. So these disciples still don't get it. This is Passover. It's a big deal in their lives. Maybe a little bigger than before. Jesus is about to go to the cross. And they didn't forget. They refused to humbly serve each other. Jesus says, you know how you get ahead in the kingdom of God? You take on the posture of a servant. You know, you begin to serve people. This is the thing that really rattled me in this passage, though, in verse 2. Right before verse 2, it says, uh, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. If being a disciple following Jesus, is serving others unselfishly. The strategy for doing that is costly consistency. And I would encourage our graduates to write that down on something, and I want you to remember this. It's costly consistency. You see this in the life of Jesus. 
just kind of, if you're not careful, you just go over that. He loved them to the very end. Jesus had this willingness to pay the price over time. Jesus just kept showing up. These were not the easiest people to love. It wasn't just the, it wasn't just arguing who's the greatest. Remember that time they're going through Samaria and they're like, man, these people, these people don't love you, Jesus. Let's pray and call down fire from heaven and burn them to crisps. Can you imagine such a prayer? And Jesus like, oh man, oh, these people, they just don't get it. And they hadn't learned their lesson. Just right after this, he's going to go and pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to ask them, would you stay and pray with me, labor with me in prayer? And what do they do? They just go to sleep. Costly consistency is our aim. It's our grid for life. Costly consistency. Maybe another way to say that is humble perseverance. With humility, Jesus persevered all the way to the end. He loved them to the very end. Now, a lot of us think, and we see these people who love God, and and God's using them in incredible ways, and we look at them with a little bit of envy and say, man, I want to be that person. I want God to use me like that. I, I, I envy a little bit the gifts they have. But what you don't know is the private discipline in that person's life, the consistency, the costly consistency of them spending time with God that prepared their heart, that gave them the capacity of soul that they would be able to be used by God in that way. A lot of us want a golden elevator to the top, don't we? We just want a golden elevator. You know, you get on the elevator and push the button and I just want to go to the very top of my field. I want to be, I want to be the best of the best. You might hear this complaint from your kids sometimes, you know. Oh, school. Why do I have to learn this? Why do I have to learn math with numbers? Why do I have to, why do I have to learn these things? They're looking for the golden elevator. I just want to get to what I want to do. I just want to be at the top. I just, I want a golden elevator. Don't you wish there was? You get in, press the button, right to the top, opens up, and then what's everything you want out of life, you just kind of step into it. But that's not the way the world works, and that's certainly not the way the economy of God works. Jesus didn't just beam himself down in order to provide uh, this ultimate payment for our sins. No, he didn't do that at all. Jesus came as a baby, and he grew up in a family that didn't understand him. As a matter of fact, when he started his ministry, you know, he's saying these things and doing these things, and his family come to get him. You remember that? His family comes to get him, and they're like, hey, sorry, he didn't take his meds. Sorry, we got to get Jesus. He's, he's saying these things, crazy things again. We're going to bring him home. He just, he, sometimes he does this. Just forgive me. He's just bad fish or whatever it was. It's, Jesus was raised in a family that didn't understand him. And yet his focus was on the cross. There's an invitation to follow Jesus. There's a direction that Jesus is going. And then there's a destination. And that destination is glorifying God with everything that you got. That's what a disciple does. They look at it with this lens of how can I glorify God with my life? I'm not just going to work as a plumber today. How am I going to go work as a plumber and glorify God with everything that I have in my life? Or even as a student or college student, a high school student, a middle school student. I'm not just going through 
the robes. My goal is to glorify God with everything that I have. Not only is there no secret elevator, the only way to the top in God's economy is to take the stairs. The only way up there is just to take the stairs. You've got to learn these things about what it means to follow him. And you know what that first step is? That first step is this idea of humility. Maybe it's not even just the first step. Maybe it's every other step. It's just so much is said about this. We don't have time to go everywhere. But God was downloading some pretty incredible things into Paul's life. And Paul says, in order to keep me from being too conceited or too proud, God sent or allowed a messenger of Satan to come and torment me. Or John the Beloved, exiled on the Isle of Patmos. He's going to get these great visions, the actual book of Revelation. Yet he's so distanced and so oppressed so that he doesn't get too proud. Every other step as we take the stairs is one of humility. Because real significance comes from humble service. Not salary or sex or friends or degrees or status, only serving. This is the way that Jesus wired the world. Now, we've got a world that's pursuing everything that they want to pursue. And yet, at the end of that, most all of them are going to find out that those things do not provide real lasting satisfaction. The only thing that would do that is your relationship with God, living your life in an inward way, spending time with God, and an outward way, pouring your life into others through humble service. Costly consistency is our aim. So Jesus gets here. The disciples are unwilling to wash each other's feet. They're acting like that this is just no big deal. It says in verse 4 that Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking the towel... He tied it around his waist and then he poured water into a basin and he began washing the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. It's an incredibly intimate moment. We've said this before, discipleship looks more like family than it does anything else. Parents, won't you do some of the craziest, grossest things for your kids? I remember the first time that I had to change a diaper. And it was just, I was mortified. I have this real, like, gag reflex of anything that smells weird. I mean, and it is strong. I've been on a, a youth trip before where someone, you know, started uh, throwing up in the back and this is a chain reaction. And I just, I mean, I'm, I'm going. Like, I just, it's going to happen. It just... So Ashley's trying to talk me into it when we're going into the hospital. She's like, all right, you know, change, how you change a diaper? I said, Baby, I'm not going to change diapers. Uh-uh, no, that's not going to be good. I'm just going to just, I'm going to just let it go all over the hospital room. It's just not good. You know, when you're delivering, I'm just going to stay up, you know, close to your head and just kind of just hope for the best here. And then, and then, you know, you can change the diapers and the nurses can do it when we're in the hospital. And lo and behold... Claire's born, we're in the hospital, just she and I. She's over there like, you know, exhausted from giving birth and laboring for 12 hours. 
That's my, I'm, I'm up. It's time for this time to change the diaper. And I'm just with so much fear and trepidation, just like going over there like, Lord, I need the Shekinah glory of God to shine down on me so that I can prove that I can actually be a dad. And, and somehow I get through it and I'm like, whew, right? Ash and I were talking about this a little bit yesterday, just some of the things that you do for your kids. And they, they even got grosser as they, you know, continue to grow up. And you just, as a parent, it's not something you just want to do, but you're just ready to do it. You're just, your love for them, just somehow you get this sense, you're just able to, to walk through really difficult things. And we see this with Jesus, this intimate moment. He is so close to them, the towel's on his waist. He's not like at full distance, you know, like spraying and then a little, you know, blower, just blow them off. No, he's just, he's pulling them close. He's washing their feet. He's drying their feet with the towel that's wrapped around his waist. This intimate moment because Jesus is showing them what a picture of real love looks like. This costly consistency, this humble perseverance. I think this is just such a beautiful picture. Jesus could have walked in that room. All right, Judas, you go do what you got to do. Hey, you know what? We're going to make this quick. Um, I'll see you guys in a little bit. But anyway, he takes this time to get close to them, to speak to them, to show them. Of course, it couldn't be easy. Peter loses his mind here. Starts saying some sarcastic things. They have this conversation for time's sake, let's jump to the, to the end there. After he had washed their feet in verse 12 and put on his outer garments, he resumed his place and he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that's what I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. To be just like Jesus, we've got to live a life of service. Because spiritual growth requires exercise. And if you don't walk in ministry and mission, you'll never grow. Jesus said in Matthew 20, 28, that I have not come to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. God's wired you for service. Not just to sit and to soak, but to pour your life into the lives of other people. And this is such a beautiful thing. If we could spend time together, there's something that breaks your heart that doesn't break my heart. There's something that keeps you up at night that doesn't keep me up at night. There's a real burden for certain things that, that you just get so burdened for. God's broken your heart for part of our culture or society that has been ripped apart by sin. And he's invited you to step into that chaos and bring the gospel into it. For some in our church, it's been adoption and foster care. Others, it's unreached people groups around the world. Maybe some, it's those living in such poverty or homelessness. Some of you, it's those that are far from God, other single moms or single dads or aging population in nursing homes or crisis pregnancy center. So many things. Mental health or physical health. God's given you a passion. He's broken your heart for it. Not so that you could just, man, make a blog post about it or a social media post about it. Know that you would go and take the gospel with you into the broken parts of the world.
starting with your neighbors and your networks and then to the nations. Paul sums up this attitude in Jesus so beautifully. I know we're out of time. This is Philippians 2. You're familiar with this passage. I'm going to read it to you in just a second, but I really want to ask you what God's really putting heavy on your heart. Who has God sent you to serve? This costly consistency. That's our aim. That's the grid. Just to keep showing up every day and showing up every day and showing up every day in humble service, pouring your life into other people. That's what it means to be just like Jesus. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes just right where you're at. I'm going to read this passage to you. And I just want, as I read it aloud, I want you to think about it. This picture of Jesus. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. Being born into the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God, we need you. We need you to work in incredible ways in our life. We need you through your spirit to develop this costly consistency in us. This humble perseverance as we, as we take the stairs... There's no golden elevator of discipleship where we just zoom right to the top and we say a quick prayer and then we look just like you. No, God, you are taking us on this process of transformation, of maturing us, and you're using your word like a scalpel to cut things out of our life that shouldn't be there. Through your kindness, speaking truth to us, to other good friends. The proverb says the wounds of a friend can be trusted. Lord, I pray that we have a culture here that speaks truth to one another, that points people back to Jesus again and again. And God, I think my prayer is that we wouldn't just play religious games. A scared world literally needs a transformed church. Lord, that we would be transformed into your image from one degree of glory to the next. Would you do that in us? Even as we sit here and we see this beautiful picture, Jesus, of you coming to earth, taking on the form of a servant, not fighting for equality with God, but willingly laying yourself down on the altar to serve us so well. Lord, would you do that in us? Because our identity is in you, we can be confident to serve others. Or would you do in Covenant Church what you need to do individually? Would you bring conviction of sin? Maybe there's some areas that we're just not being consistent in. We just, we just got overwhelmed or apathetic or mediocre. Something happened to us. And there was a time when we were on fire and we were pursuing your face, Lord. But 
something's happened and we just kind of just quit. We've, we've grown weary in doing good. And I pray, Father, we could repent of that. Your spirit could re-energize us. Others in this room, surely maybe it's the costly part that we just don't, we don't want to take on that form of a servant. We're showing up, but we're just showing up half-hearted. We're not in it. We're not seeking to glorify you through it, through our jobs, through our families, through our relationships and our neighborhoods and networks. Lord, the thing you've put in our heart is going to cost too much, and we just don't want to give up that cost. And I pray, Holy Spirit, would you lead us to repentance there. Following the example of Jesus and with Jesus as our power and motivation inside of us that we could move forward in humble perseverance. Thank you for your love for us. Do in us what you need to in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll be in the back if you'd like to pray with someone. We're going to sing here in a minute. I encourage you to respond to what God is placing on your heart. Even now.